0: informing america's farmers and ranchers it's adams on agriculture produced by the american ag radio network here's your
1: host mike adams and hello everyone welcome to adams on agriculture as we wrap up the week thank you for joining us we're looking ahead to next week the american farm bureau federation annual meeting in new orleans hope to be broadcasting from there both monday and tuesday not sure about getting there as we uh where i'm at here in illinois kind of bracing for a big snowstorm they say the next couple of days and I'm um, kind of wondering about getting uh, a flight out of here uh, not only on time but whenever that might be if I can get there on time so uh, we'll kind of play that uh, by ear here in the next couple of days and see how that goes but I'm planning on being on in New Orleans Monday and Tuesday for the AFBF annual meeting but one way or another we'll have information from there whether I'm there or uh, we just connect with people there but hopefully I'll make it and uh, for those in the path of this big storm that's uh, coming in uh, be careful let's uh, have a a safe uh, next few days ahead uh, dealing with that storm Uh, take all the precautions you can and be very very careful well coming up on our program today a couple of interesting um, surveys we have some research out uh, released by the National Pork Board uh, on how Americans are eating at home and how that could impact the uh, pork industry. What opportunities are there? We'll be talking with uh, Jared Sutton, Vice President of Domestic Marketing for the National Pork Board. And there's also a, a, a survey released how Consumers feel about mislabeling of imitation milk products. We'll talk with Alan Bjerga with the National Milk Producers Federation about that. And then there was uh, another court ruling, uh, this one against Iowa's, they call them ag gag laws, but really they're to protect the livestock industry from undercover operations and things like that. Uh, this uh, ruling struck that down in Iowa, and uh, we'll talk with uh, Gary Bays with OFW Law. Gary had been on with us earlier this week. Uh, to talk about uh, a court case. And now we have another court ruling we want to get his uh, perspective on. That's coming up a little bit later on in the program. But let's start things off with Todd Neely from DTN. Todd, how are you?
2: I'm good, Mike. How are you? Well, good. Uh,
1: Kind of waiting to see what the weather does and how that might change some plans here the next few days. But other than that, doing good. And meanwhile, uh, the big story continues to be this government shutdown. And it looks like it's going to continue at least through the weekend.
2: Yeah, I think so, you know, and it's an interesting part of this. You know, today would be a USDA reports day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we uh, we had a story uh, today, in fact, talking about that and what's being lost uh, with the government shutdown. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, especially with the reports, it's going to be kind of interesting to see what markets will do. Um, you know, price discovery and, and all those sorts of things are really what the USDA reports kind of – Fill the gap in on on some things. And so um, I think that's the big thing today, just kind of watching the market and seeing how things go. But yeah, um, you know, we also heard too that uh, EPA continues to say that it's going to get out that E15 rule on time. And so I guess that's kind of a latency too. But um, yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting because you look at this and you think that at some point, you know, somebody's going to either side is going to give and we're just going to move on. It's going to be forgotten. But Every day that this goes by, it kind of brings up new things in agriculture every day.
1: Yeah, we're really starting to get into uncharted waters the longer this thing goes. And we know, obviously, some folks are missing paychecks. That's a huge concern. Sure. But we're seeing a lot of these other issues each day that goes by, whether it's a a crop report or, of course, as we've talked about, the trade mitigation payments uh, that are not going out. I mean, each day it's something more and more that uh, we've become more aware of how this impacts us.
2: Yeah, you know, and it's interesting because by and large, I mean, we're talking about a partial shutdown, really. I mean, I think it's 25% of the entire government. Um, but it seems like that 25% really really is hitting the ad community a little bit. And so, uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, as I think we're going to know more in the next week or two. But if you could imagine this thing dragging on and on and on, it, at some point I would think it's going to start having some market effects. Um, you know, also we've got that WOTUS rule that we talk a lot about that's still out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just a lot we don't know at this point.
1: Yeah. I mean, eventually they'll get it done, but it sure pushes a lot of things back yeah. further and further. It'll be interesting Monday, and I hope I'm there. Uh, in new orleans at the at the afbf meeting to hear what the president has to say i i said yesterday i think the the crowd there will be supportive but anxious because they want some uh, resolution to some of these issues whether it's the government shutdown or or some of these trade issues Uh, i don't expect a lot of specifics from the president Uh, probably some general themes that will be i would imagine popular with the group but uh uh, i i think people are going to be certainly be very anxious and start and they're going to want to hear some details on how this is going to uh, play out.
2: Yeah, I think so. You know, and that, if you think about it, that's really a prime opportunity for for Trump to get out there and and talk to the people. Maybe um, you know, when you look at this, really agriculture seems to be um, maybe hit a little harder than a lot of other industries in the shutdown. And so, yeah, I mean, this this to me would seem like that chance for the president to maybe you know leave some of those concerns and you know, reiterate some of the things that he's doing to support agriculture and trade and all these things we talk about.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting, and I mentioned this yesterday, because he's for tariffs, agriculture is against tariffs. Yeah. Um, As you pointed out, agriculture getting hit pretty hard by this trade uh, uh, war that's going on with China and some of the other trade issues, agriculture seems to be right at the top of the list for uh getting hurt in this but yet the ag community is still very supportive of the president so it's an interesting uh you know uh, it is situation the way these two you know what i just described you would think agriculture would be very uh, he'd be coming into a hostile right. environment and he won't be he'll come into a very <laughs> supportive environment
2: yeah you know and i i think you know i mean i don't know what's in the minds of a lot of a lot of people in rural america but i think that. Um, you know, when people voted for Trump in this area of the country, I think it had a lot to do with a lot of other issues. You know, um, as as you know, the nature of farming is a very uh, patience demanding type of business, and I think uh, you know, agriculture has seen these kinds of ups and downs before. It's nothing. It's nothing that's not kind of you know bred in the DNA of agriculture at this point. I mean, it's always been a struggle in many respects, and um, you know, I think a lot of farmers are looking at this as another one of those times and. You know, people are very patient in this
1: area of the world. Yeah, and a belief that in the end, however long that's going to be, hopefully sooner rather than later, but it's going to work out for the best. And uh, there is that belief, that optimism that is so uh, uh, important for those in agriculture, so prevalent, certainly. Hey, real quick, uh, there is a case coming before the Supreme Court this year that could make it easier for farmers to challenge wetlands and other determinations. Tell us about it real quick.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's kind of a long story, but there was a Vietnam War veteran who had applied for government benefits uh, based on his service, and he got denied. And it basically came down to how uh, Veterans Affairs made a determination on, you know, different language within within the law and the rules that they have to follow. Um, so this, this doctrine is going to be becoming, before the Supreme Court, it's called the hour of deference. And uh, what the thing that's really a key here for agriculture is that A lot of times farmers will go to court they'll try to challenge EPA and others on different things and the courts usually uh they defer to what the agencies and how they read the interpretations of the rules and those sorts of things and so uh there's a south dakota farmer named arlen foster who went through this with a a wetlands case uh and it basically came down to uh you know how they compared other similar lands to his property and um he he you know, he went to the Supreme Court yeah. for this, tried to get them to help. They wouldn't do it. But I think uh, I think with this case, we might have uh, some resolution going forward that, uh, you know, there's more yeah. of a balance between courts and, and federal agencies.
1: And you have a story on it on DTN. We urge people and encourage them to take a look at it. Thanks, Todd.
2: All right. Thank you.
1: Todd Neely with DTN joining us on AOA. If you don't know where to look it's
3: easy to miss something big. Sometimes the answers to our biggest
4: challenges are found in the most unexpected places. The clean energy solutions we need are right in front of us. Always have been. Opportunity is everywhere if you know where to look. See the world differently. Poet. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network.
5: What does Meals on Wheels do? They deliver meals and smiles to homebound seniors. But Meals on Wheels does something else. They turn a volunteer's lunch break into a meaningful experience. As small and as simple as the relationship is between a volunteer and a client of Meals on Wheels, it's really so impactful. I never thought that five minutes could make so much difference in the lives of two people, but it has. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. I can't believe he found them.
6: He seems sorry.
5: We very clearly told him not to look up there. I'm
0: honestly impressed that he was able to do it. <laughs>
5: right? But did he balance on that big chair? Or... Yeah,
0: I mean, I guess he'll just know what his gifts are this year.
5: I really thought we had hidden them well.
7: If they can find their presence, they can find a gun.
5: 911, what is your emergency? Every
7: day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and N Family Fire. Private health care is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612, that's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Information America's
0: farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
1: Well, I always find it interesting, uh, consumer trends, and especially when it comes to not only what people are eating, but where they are eating. And uh, there's some new information out from the National Pork Board, a report called Dinner at Home in America. Joining us to talk about it is Jared Sutton, Vice President of Domestic Marketing for the National Pork Board. Jared, thanks for joining us.
8: Hey, Mike. Good morning. Thanks for having me.
1: So tell us about this study.
8: Well, it is a big study. It's a study we started way back in 2016, really building and constructing a framework to figure out essentially how consumers are changing the way that they're eating and uh, we started with this idea of how dinner at home in america is changing and as i tell everyone if i were talking to my mom and dad i better say supper at home but it's really the uh, evening right. meal at home <laughs> and how things are changing with just busy lifestyles and uh, really trying to understand what are the need states of people when they're thinking about what's for uh, what's for supper tonight what's for dinner tonight and so We essentially build a comprehensive uh, data set that um, not only looks at what people are buying, which is the best way to understand consumers' behavior, but also doing some research to talk to people and find out what they're thinking and what they need, what they're feeling when they're buying those products, and obviously looking at it through the lens of protein and specifically for pork. And through that research, we've been able to identify nine different eating occasions that are happening at dinner time in households all across America at any given time. And really, uh, seeing how pork can fit into those different types of eating occasions, and and merchandising our product a bit differently, so it's truly a, a way to position the product that fits the needs of consumers, and obviously, it's designed to ultimately grow demand and the, and the overall use of pork products.
1: Okay, I want to get into some of the specifics, but uh, you know, the feeling has been, and it, it seems like the trend has been, we eat out more. That means we're eating less, fewer meals at home as a family. We're more on the go, or we're driving through, or we're popping things in a microwave, something real quick. Does, is that reflected in this study, or is that starting to change?
8: Yeah, I think the cool thing is you can look inside of this study, and you can see every different age group, every demographic you can think of in terms of gender, in terms of geographic, in terms of ethnicity, and yet we all fall into these different types of dinner eating occasions because we're busy. Sometimes you got to just put dinner on the table because you got to keep the machine running. So what do I got in the fridge? What do I got on hand? Other times you have time, you can do a little planning and preparation and maybe venture outside of your routine a bit. But the reality is because we're living such busy lifestyles and because technology continues to change that helps us live those busy lifestyles, there are all kinds of solutions that, that help us live easier and live better, Yet the food space is probably lagging a bit behind. And so what we're attempting to do is ensure that people see all of the great attributes that pork offers and how that, the products that pork offers, along with those attributes, fit into those daily routines and those, those dinner occasions. And so they can think about it a little bit differently so that you can spice some of those familiar family favorites up a little bit by replacing an existing protein or adding a protein like pork that brings flavor and, and the nutritional value and all the great attributes that pork offers. But you're exactly right. People are eating out a lot more often, and that's really where we're thinking our next venture will be is truly understanding how and why, what, what's in the consideration set in that process for determining what we're going to get uh, to keep that machine running. And, again, that kind of intelligence will help us, help our packers and processors and retail and food service companies be more successful with pork products.
1: Yeah, flexibility would seem to be the key. I mean, if you just have a product that requires hours of preparation and and in anticipation of a big sit-down family meal, that's not going to work on a daily basis for many families. So you have to be flexible, provide a product that will work into that changing lifestyle, and also show them the the health benefits as well as the, you know, you got nutrition and taste and everything involved here, and pork fits right into that.
8: Well, that's it. I mean, there's a couple of anecdotes, but a good example would be somebody like Costco. They're a big retailer. People pay to shop there and just a tremendous operator here in the U.S. and, of course, internationally as well. And so we work very closely with Costco and really studying consumer trends and, to your point, how you merchandise pork accordingly. And so as an example, they sell big packs of spare ribs, and they sell a lot of them. But they decided to give it a shot, opening up those packs of ribs, pulling the ribs out, sprinkling some seasoning onto those ribs and then wrapping them in single individual units and selling them out of their deli case. They get to charge a bit more because there's some labor involved in that, but because you took, they took that extra step to add some value to that product, that means you're taking one step out of the consumer's Mm -hmm. preparation process and they're selling those ribs at 10x the other spare ribs. One step, one simple value add, and yet that is exactly what consumers are looking for. And so some of this stuff is really just about positioning and packaging the product a bit differently. Obviously, from uh, you know, a bigger macro perspective, we're going to drive innovation in the industry in terms of product development. So fully cooked pork products that can be quickly heat and serve for stir fry, for uh, fajitas, for an addition into or onto other types of meals. And especially with millennials and the mindset of protein and pork in particular being an ingredient, in the meals, as opposed to big hunks of meat, is really a fundamental shift for our industry, and it really creates a lot of opportunities and, and excitement for innovation.
1: We're talking with Jared Sutton, Vice President, Domestic Marketing for the National Pork Board. Jared, the study where thousands of interviews were conducted uh, to come up with these results, w- was this primarily in urban areas, rural areas, a combination, or where?
8: Well, good question. So greater than 10,000 uh, interviews done inside this data set. And so a deep, deep understanding of, of people's thoughts, people's needs, and, and that's that's from the Hispanic U.S. consumer to the Asian American, African American, uh, the general market really heavily skewed towards those urban areas because it's truly representative of the U.S. population. And because of that, you're looking at a lot of single households, single households where maybe millennials in particular are working to build their careers before considering starting a family. And so when you have those solo eating occasions uh, from a meat perspective and pork in particular, they're probably not going to sell a lot of big packages of assorted pork chops. Now we're looking for single individual chops and individual packages and likely a, you know, limited competence and confidence in terms of cooking and preparation of that product. So Absolutely looking at, at the major metropolitan areas, looking at the way that people live inside of those cities, and then, of course, how they shop and ultimately how they eat. All of that data, and by the way, Mike, this type of data, this type of research to this extent has never been done before. It is a big old hairy beast, and there's lots of information in there. And now you can, as a marketer, as a brand, you know, as a product developer, you can come at it a bit differently and truly understand what the needs are And that's going to fuel the innovation that, of course, it's risky whenever you're going to introduce something new, but because the data is so strong and so sound, we're going to reduce that risk of innovation and really looking forward to engaging deeper with our Packer partners to to fuel those ideas and and put some of these uh, projects out into the marketplace and see what kind of response we get from consumers.
1: So versatility, simplicity, those are important. But uh, folks looking for the nutritional aspects, too, this, uh, again, plays well for pork. You have a good message there.
8: Yeah, I mean, I, look, the pork checkoff has been working on this for a good number of years. And, and, and for this study in particular, which is a monster, as I said, there are five perception challenges that, that present themselves for us as an industry. And so Pork Checkoff is going to focus on this for the foreseeable future and certainly uh, hard in 2019. Number one is about flavor. you got to taste good, and that's the, that's the uh, table stakes, right? And number two is it's got uh, to be nutritious. People are eating differently, and they're thinking about how they're eating and, and obviously thinking a lot about protein and how that improves overall vitality. And so taste good and be nutritious. Obviously, it's got to be safe, and that's an important um, uh, consideration for consumers now. So, uh, more so than ever before, they're um, also talking about ease, ease of preparation. Man, people just don't have a lot of time. And, and as I mentioned, some of that confidence in the kitchen—that's why you see the emergence of things like the instant pot and, and things like the air fryer, uh, helping you know people that are cooking at home be successful and, and do it in a hurry. The fifth and, and um, you know arguably arguably most important uh, perception is is this product good for the earth or in other w- other words, is it sustainable and and so those are the perception uh, issues that we're working through at the pork checkoff and I got to tell you these pork producers've worked here since 2000 been here for a long time and and what I love about working for the pork checkoff is that uh, desire for continuous improvement but really putting Uh, the muscle behind that it's one thing to say that but we have a safe product we have a nutritious product we have a sustainable product and it makes um, for my job as as the marketer um, really fun to package all that up and deliver it out to a consumer that's hungry for that information
1: yeah always important to know what your customers are are doing and what they're looking for and what they're wanting some very interesting information and uh, some good opportunities here for the pork industry. Jared Sutton, Vice President, Domestic Marketing for the National Pork Board, has been our guest. Thanks, Jared.
8: Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Happy New Year.
1: You too. Stay with us. More coming up here on AOA Adams on Agriculture.
9: We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you.
4: Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. In the grain and oil seed sector, trying to stabilize in soybean futures after Thursday losses, some 16 to 17 and a fraction at the closing bell. On Thursday, early on this Friday, we are trending 2 to 4 cents higher. March soybeans up 2 and 3 quarters at 9.09 and a half an hour into the trading day. We tumbled to a lower close yesterday. March beans closing just below the 20-day moving average. That's a week near-term signal. New swing high resistance for March soybeans. Forming at this week's high at nine twenty-seven and three quarters, in corn we're a penny or two higher an hour into our Friday session. March at three seventy-eight, up a penny and three quarters of a cent. At yesterday's close, we cracked the twenty-day moving average support level at the final bell. Trend line support on this Friday coming in at three seventy-four and a half on the March corn contract. For the wheats, we're trending higher. Chicago Wheat March up seven and a half at 521 and a quarter. Kansas City 8 to 8.5 cents higher. Minneapolis spring wheat eight to nine and a quarter higher. For livestock at the Merck in live cattle futures, trending twenty to forty-two cents higher. February at one twenty-five twenty-seven up forty cents. Cash cattle business should begin to get into gear at some point today. Asking prices set to be restated at 125 live, 200 on a dressed basis. In feeder cattle, were a dime to 30 cents higher. Lean hog futures 85 to a dollar 55 lower. Cash being called steady to a buck and a half higher on this Friday. Outside markets: the Dow down 155 points. February crude oil down 77 cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. Information
0: America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back
1: to Mike Adams. Well, there's a new national survey released that shows consumers, by a nearly three-to-one margin, want U.S. Uh, US uh, Food and Drug Administration to enforce existing regulations and to prohibit non-dairy beverage companies from using the term milk on their product labels. Joining us now to talk about it is Alan Burego with the National Milk Producers Federation. Alan, thanks for joining us. Uh, Pretty strong sentiment here by consumers.
3: It is, and honestly, it wasn't a huge surprise. Um, When you take a look at surveys that have been put out on this issue, and, you know, it's not just stuff that the dairy industry is paying for. Um, This particular survey done by Ipsos, um, which is a global market research and consulting firm, you know, it found that 61% of consumers believe that the FDA should restrict non-baric Non-dairy beverage companies from using the term "milk" on their product labels. That 61% is um, compared to 23% who don't think that 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 think the FDA shouldn't limit the term "milk" to dairy products. We had 16% uncertainty, but if you take a look at a poll that was done last year by Morning Consult, um, that was done actually published in Politico, um, you know, an independent publication. That also showed that consumers tend to be skeptical of plant-based alternatives using the, word, the term milk uh, on that issue. Uh, there have been There's another survey. This was also an Ipsail survey that was done last fall, taking a look at some of the issues with nutritional confusion in milk. Um, and we found a lot of confusion as far as what people saw as the nutritional value of milk. And even, frankly, in, you know, this campaign that we've been running with this FDA comment period going on, which I'm sure we'll talk about soon, even our opposition will do polls, um, and they came up positively for us. <laughs> we take a look at some stuff done by the uh, International Food Information Council about whether consumers are confused about milk, and indeed, that shows that too. So this was a pretty overwhelming margin in favor of the FDA enforcing its own rules um, on what milk should be, which is... The identity is, declined, is, is defined as the lacteal secretion of a mammal, um, and this is just more of that drumbeat, more of the same.
1: And of course, FDA right now uh, soliciting comments uh, when it comes to front-of-package dairy labeling regulations. That comment period runs till the end of this month, is that right?
3: It runs until January twenty eighth. Now, of course, with the government shutdown, everything is kind of up in the air. There is some thought that this may be pushed a little bit into the future, but right now, in terms of you know encouraging people to comment to the FDA, we have to be assuming that things move at, on the calendar that was that was already set. Um, that means that two weeks from Monday is the deadline for people to share their opinions with the FDA. If you go to www.nmpf.org, um, we have a pretty easy way for link to people to see how to write a submission, what the FDA is looking for in a submission, and, and actually tools to help you actually make your comment for the FDA. Once again, that's on our website, nmpf.org.
1: We're talking with Alan Bjerga with the National Milk Producers Federation. Alan, there there's there's studies out there, surveys showing that consumers have been misled, right, by some of these uh, uh, imitation dairy products, some of the plant-based products, thinking they're getting the, the same nutritional benefits uh, as real milk, real dairy, uh, when they're not.
3: Yeah, and, and again, you know, this just ties into the, the now at this point, avalanche of survey data we have on this information. You know, there was an Ipsos uh, survey from last August. It showed 73% of consumers erroneously believe that almond-based drinks had as much protein per serving than milk. Actually, milk has about eight times as much protein per serving. Um, we also had a, a survey done, again, that, that IFIC survey, which actually was, was commissioned for the purpose of trying to show that indeed consumers aren't confused as to whether there is cow's milk in plant based milks. Um, you know, the idea, the argument that is always mischaracterized is, is that the dairy industry thinks consumers are stupid and, and that people think that there's cow's milk in their almond beverage. That's not the case. That's never been our argument. We're arguing nutritional confusion, but of course, our opposition would like to to paint our, our position differently than that. The funny thing was is they actually surveyed people who drink almond-based beverages, for example, and one quarter of them actually either thought there was cow- cow's milk in their almond beverage or they weren't sure whether there was or not. Well, one quarter of the population sounds like a certain amount of confusion. If you had four people and one of them wasn't sure, that to me sounds like a problem and that's not our word for it. That was a research that was research that was funded by our opposition. It also shows confusion in the marketplace.
1: And obviously there's value in the name dairy and milk or these companies wouldn't be using those names.
3: Yeah. And, and that's where you also find this paradox, which is when you take a look at the comments that are going into the FDA, I'll be honest, um, pro-dairy comments are in the minority right now. And a lot of that is because there have been a lot of sort of, you know, postcard, form letter, opposition comments that have been generated by, by our opponents on this that, you know, they all kind of say the same thing. A few hundred of them will come in on the same date. It's a lot of quantity. We are very much focusing on quantity, And and we're we're focusing on quantity and quality on this. And when you look at the quality of comments, they're very much on our side because we have these arguments about, you know, nutritional confusion. It's backed by survey data. We have child nutrition organizations and, and doctors who are writing on our side saying, you know, this is a problem with parents who think of milk as any liquid that's white. Giving their kids nutritionally deficient diets, not because they want to hurt their kids, because but because they're they're misinformed about what the nutritional value is. This is a real public health issue here, um, and and we're trying to get to the bottom of it. We're trying to do something about it. We also have to note, you know, that dairy has worked for generations to create positive consumer perception of milk. Um, In in the world of intellectual property, if you take something that somebody has worked hard to develop over generations and you misappropriate it for your own company's position, that's called theft. Um, And it's not something that's cool in the marketplace. It's not something that that, that should be allowed. Pretty much every country on Earth other than the United States has similar rules. They enforce them. All we're asking is that the FDA enforce its own rules on the standards of identity of what is and what isn't milk so that we have fairness and transparency in the marketplace and, and and fairer and more honest dairy and milk product labeling.
1: You know, that's interesting. I guess I'd never thought about it in the terms of intellectual property, but that's really what this is about.
3: Well, it's just a case where... People have an expectation of what a a product is. And these standards of identity issues, especially when you start creating meat out of test tubes and some of the other things we've seen in technology, these are emerging very important issues. Because indeed, you know, you see it all the time in the grocery store, and it's not just milk. It's yogurt, it's cheese, it's butter. You know, there's a standard of identity for for taking something that's the oil of a plant and, and made to be like butter. It's called margarine. Um, And yet you see companies that, you know, they're making what would be a margarine, but they want to call it butter. Because, again, people have positive perceptions of dairy products. Dairy farmers have worked very hard to create that positive perception. It's part of the reason you have rules about adulteration. You know, if a dairy farmer added a bunch of water to their milk and tried to sell it in the marketplace, they'd be in jail. Um, But if you take a bunch of water, throw some almond flavoring into it, and call it you know, almond milk, you can be hailed as an innovator. Uh, It's not a consistent or fair marketplace, and and sometimes people will say, oh, it's just dairy farmers that care about that. Well, dairy farmers have worked pretty hard and have every right to care about it and, and certainly are well within bounds to raise this consideration before the FDA, which already has the rules and simply needs to enforce them.
1: Well and I think the results of the survey show that more people more than just dairy farmers care about it. consumers do care about this uh, uh, they've come to believe you know you know in that term milk and what it stands for in dairy uh, the nutritional aspects and the quality and everything and they want that preserved They do want that
3: preserved but in terms of caring from the standpoint of advocacy and getting something done you have to do more than care you have to actually do something um, that's why it's so important to have this comment period on this docket before the FDA that ends on January 28th because you know the FDA is taking a lot of things into consideration they want to see the quality of information we feel we have the quality of information they also want the quantity of opinion we're not getting the same amount of quantity of opinion as the other side because the other side you know we're talking about animal rights lobbyists we're talking about some of the you know less mainstream parts of the environmental community and such they will flood these dockets with their comments and if you don't have concerns consumers coming in with quality opinions and information, people outside of dairy also arguing our side on standards of identity, um, it hurts you when the FDA decides whether or not this is a problem. We've had some wonderful comments written in our favor. Um, A man who was a keynote speaker at the FDA Centennial came in on our side. We've had school children writing the FDA saying that they want dairy products to be the ones that are labeled as milk. But you just need more. Um, and if you are a consumer, if you are not a dairy farmer, even if you're in agriculture, but in some other way, you know, going to www.nmpf.org and, and figuring out how you can add your voice to this is just helpful. It's helpful for the work of dairy farmers. It's helpful for integrity in the marketplace.
1: Yeah, and we encourage people to do so because it is important. There's a lot of consumer confusion in the marketplace today, I think more than ever. So this is a, a very important issue, and we encourage people to uh, make their feelings known. Again, how do they go about doing that, Alan?
3: <laughs> For the seventh time in this interview, uh, yep. www.nmpf.org. We have all the resources you need.
1: Yep, want to make sure everyone has that, uh, that website uh, clear so they can go and uh, get their comments it. in. You bet. Alan, thanks All a lot. Right. Appreciate it. Thank you. Alan Bjerga with the National Milk Producers Federation. Yeah, it's an important issue. And... Uh, FDA will be looking at these comments that are coming in. Right now, the comment period ends, uh, scheduled in end January 28th, but who knows, maybe that'll get extended because of the, uh, the government shutdown. We'll see. But still important to, to express your feelings on that issue. Well, we had another court ruling, so we're going to do another session of Ag in the Courtroom. We had Gary Bayes, attorney with OFW Law, on with us earlier in the week uh, talking about a, a court case and a decision when it came to uh, uh, Ag production livestock production rules in the states of california and massachusetts now and they impact other states well now we have a ruling against uh, a law in iowa protecting livestock operations we'll get his thoughts on that coming up next here on adams on agriculture
0: reason number 12 why you should own a thermospas hot tub they require no attachment to your home's plumbing Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount.
3: We paid less for Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago.
1: Reason
0: number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub, they require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount.
7: and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical,
5: I can't believe he found them.
4: He seems sorry.
5: We very clearly told him not to look up there.
0: I'm honestly impressed that he was able to do it.
5: Right? What did he balance on that big chair? Or... Yeah,
0: I mean, I guess he'll just know what his gifts are this year.
5: I really thought we had hidden them well.
7: If they can find their presence, they can find a gun.
5: 911, what is your emergency?
0: Every
7: day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and NFamily Fire. Information America's
0: farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
1: All right, another session of Ag in the Courtroom. This could be a regular feature. I mean, there are going to be a lot of key court cases. There are already have several ones in the judicial system and that we're waiting for uh, rulings on, but we're starting to get some now. We talked the other day, just this week, with Gary Bays, attorney with OFW Law, about uh, the ruling um, on California and Massachusetts, not a U.S. Supreme Court not hearing challenges to those uh, states' laws that uh, really not only set uh, you know uh, production standards as far as not allowing uh, cages or whatever it may be or confinement systems, but also saying that other states if they don't meet the same uh, standards and procedures, can't sell into those states. So that's a key one with great implications that Gary told us about. Now we have another ruling against uh, a law in Iowa. They're called ag-gag laws, and I don't like those. Those have very negative connotation. Basically, they're laws to protect livestock operations from these undercover operations, people sneaking onto their property or, or misleading people, uh, misleading producers about who they are and what they're there for, just to shoot uh, some video that sometimes can be very misleading uh, not always but sometimes very inaccurate so uh, there are laws in place to protect uh, uh, operations for that but the one in iowa gary as gary bays joins us again this one has been uh, uh, ruled against by uh, uh, in uh, in court so tell us about the implications of this
6: well this was a u.s district uh, federal court that ruled that uh, such an ag-gag law which uh, punished a person for motives uh, that uh, were impure, if you will, uh, coming onto your property and taking photographs or radio recordings or anything that would uh, embarrass the uh, farm producer. Uh, I would have to say the way the Iowa law was written, it probably did uh, violate the Constitution in terms of free speech. How we have to deal with these ag-gag laws is, first off, Mike, as you said, we need to get away from that term. Yeah. Uh, that is a term the media and the environmentalists have created. Uh, some of our state legislators have actually helped that in saying uh, that we need an ag gag law. Well, that makes agriculture look bad. We don't have anything to hide, frankly, in agriculture. We do a, an excellent job, uh, I'd say 99 point something percent of the time, and that is animal agriculture and tillage agriculture. Uh, In my opinion, how these laws must be approached, and and yes, no producer wants some uh, employee sneaking onto his property or even not sneaking. Most of these folks have been duly hired by the uh, institution and are working there, but they're doing it under false pretenses. Uh, The way I see we must deal with this is just go back to the law, as usual, and use trespass. And uh, I'm trying to think. I believe it's Indiana that has... uh, one of these laws, and again, I'm going to stop using the term ag-gag, because that sort of uh, continues the problem, but uh, use the trespass law, and every every state has trespass law, common law, and it's incorporated in their state statutes. But you are trespassing if you come on to take photographs or take recordings or do anything like that. So that, I think, will stand up. and uh, I think it has in Indiana. I have not checked that recently. So there is a way of approaching it, but uh, lots of publicity is generated when one of these statutes uh, is reversed. Uh, The one before Iowa, I believe, was Idaho. Uh, That was a split win in some uh, respects. Uh, But uh, we need to move on, and agriculture needs to educate its legislators how to try to do this properly, because we do not want people coming on our property and, and, and creating situations, which sometimes happens, Mike.
1: So you think the problem with the Iowa law was how it was written?
6: Yes, and that is true with all of them, because what it attempts to do, and and, uh, just just think of CBS program 60 Minutes, part of what the press does is uncover uh, untoward activity, and we see that all the time on our news programs with investigative reporting. That is a valued aspect of our free speech uh, amendment, and uh, that goes back to the beginning of this country in the Bill of Rights. Anytime you try to restrict a person's free speech, it is very, very difficult. Secondly, when it is tagged as an agricultural gag law, that doesn't make us look good. So we don't need to do that.
1: There are yeah, other said ways, this, I think, of attacking the problem. I've said this many times before. You know, if someone comes onto your property and, and if you're doing something wrong, if you're abusing animals, then you should be punished. That has to be stopped. But if someone comes on, film something, and sometimes we've seen some of that film get edited and changed, and it's misleading, but other times we've seen it, even if it's a legitimate case of abuse, they'll sit on it for weeks and months to prepare their promotional uh, materials and things like that. To me, if you see abuse and don't report it immediately, uh, you're part of the problem, and, and you should be punished for that.
6: I think that's correct, but... Uh if you're coming on the property with an intent to sort of do harm, trespass is, I think, a way to go about doing that. And some states have already started doing that, as I indicate. Uh, but on balance, I'd have to say the Iowa law was a violation of the Constitution, just as
1: the judge ruled that it was. So it's a, we need a, a. seems like we need a uniform approach to this to, uh, to handle it better and properly. Yes. All right. Very good. Gary, thanks for the clarification, the update, because, you know, we see that headline. It can it uh, sometimes could be misleading. Wanted to get your thoughts and perspective on it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Gary Bays, attorney with OFW Law. Another session of ag in the courtroom. Yeah, I hate that term ag gag law because that makes it sound like uh agriculture's hiding or or being defensive when there's a lot more to this and uh, you got to you have to be protected and you have people coming on to your property, in many cases, to do harm or try to do harm, and sometimes very misleading. But that's not to excuse anyone who is uh, uh, abusing animals or, or any uh, bad practices that are going on, but it's just the way that it is being handled. And uh, that's why some of these, so many of these states have uh, come up with laws to try to protect the, the livestock industry, too. So we need to find a, a better approach, better way, better language, I, I guess, is what Gary is saying in these laws as we move forward. Okay, that's going to wrap it up for today. Again, hopefully, weather permitting, travel permitting, uh, I'll be in New Orleans uh, Monday and Tuesday broadcasting from the American Farm Bureau Federation annual meeting. Uh, President Trump scheduled to be there. Secretary Perdue scheduled to be there. Lots of issues to talk about. And either I'll be there talking with people about it or... uh, If I'm still at home, we'll hook up on the phone and get the people from the convention to get that information to you. But we'll have coverage Monday and Tuesday. In the meantime, have a great weekend. Be safe. Thanks for joining us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture.
4: Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday.
1: Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again.
4: Or you can search for the American Ag Network.
5: This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill.
4: Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device.
5: What does Meals on Wheels do? They deliver meals and smiles to homebound seniors. But Meals on Wheels does something else. They turn a volunteer's lunch break into a meaningful experience. As small and as simple as the relationship is between a volunteer and a client of Meals on Wheels, it's really so impactful. I never thought that five minutes could make so much difference in the lives of two people, but it has. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council.
1: I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit, For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off,
5: the hard
7: part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1 800 489 7204. 1 800 489 7204. That's 1 800 489 7204.
5: 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. License to
7: management service provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM 80031.